Hello, and thank you for listening to You Might Have a Point. This podcast will feature interviews with guests who specialize in one or more of a broad range of subjects, including philosophy, psychology, politics, public policy, journalism, and culture. The basic idea of the show is that even when you disagree with someone on some things, it can often be worth it to find areas of common ground by saying, you know, you might have a point. If you want to learn more about the podcast or the blog that accompanies it, you can visit www.youmighthaveapoint.com. Enjoy the show. Maxim Lott, uh, thank you for coming on. You might have a point. Sure. Yeah, good to be here, Stephen. So uh, you've written for Real Clear Politics and uh, Fox News, um, as well as being the executive producer for John Stossel TV. Um, so the reason I'm bringing people on the podcast is to just uh, kind of talk about um, some overall themes of their work, um, how they see the world of politics and journalism today. I guess I'll just start it off with like, uh, what is what is kind of the approach you take to your writing as well as running Stossel TV in terms of, um, I guess, an ideological vantage point and also just uh, how you try to portray things to your viewers and, and readers. Mm-hmm. Well, the approach I try to take is just to help people get closer to reality or closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to present all sides and also to especially present things that people might not hear other places. So the articles I write and the segments we produce on Stossel are all things that, you know, if you load up CNN.com right now, it's not going to be on there. It's not going to be a viewpoint there. And so I think all these things provide important extra information that people need to understand, uh, different viewpoints and facts that they might not see otherwise. Yeah, that's definitely the impression that I've gotten. I think one of the, that lines up with uh, sort of the intention of <clears throat> my blog, which is, and that's why I'm having you on is because I think um, there's definitely a lot of narratives and competing narratives. And I think that, you know, there's some truth to a lot of those narratives, but at the same time, gaining a better understanding of, other competing narratives and what truth or falsehood there is to those can be uh, really helpful. I think uh, one area that you've kind of explored that is just media bias, um, which I think I've always kind of been been interested in, but at the same time is difficult to pin down because journalism is both listing facts and then explaining those facts. And there are choices that you make in terms of what facts to tell and then choices that you make about how to explain uh, what those facts mean. So, you know, I, I guess my take on it is that, you know, it's impossible to not have bias, right? But that um, uh, an organization ideally should at least own up to that fact and try to, you know, either say what their perspective is or get as many perspectives as possible. Um, does that kind of line up with what, how you think about media bias? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, everyone has some kind of biases. Um, and I agree, it can be hard to pin down because sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes the writer themselves might not even know what they are. Um, and, but what I will say is that in recent years, and this year maybe especially, some of the bias has just gone over the top, I think, in some of the mainstream outlets where you know you have demonstrations for one thing or another thing and the media, well, only one of them will they say, oh my God, they're spreading coronavirus. 
and the mm. other one it never even mentioned never, doesn't even cross the mind so you know i think there's been some pretty overt bias with things like that and you also had things like uh when the major riots and destruction were going on this summer you had outlets like the new york times saying um we found no evidence that antifa was involved and you know anyone could go down to these things as some brave reporters like Andy No did and Antifa's all over there. You know, they're posting on social media, come meet here tonight and we're going to tear down this statue. We're going to break up the break up capitalism. And uh, so the evidence was there for anyone to see and they just, they didn't want to see it. So they just said, we didn't find any evidence. So I think there's been some really blatant bias that, is easy to call out now, uh, but, and it's gotten worse over the last couple of years. Yeah, for me, it's uh, a little difficult to think about because I think that Trump has made uh, the different spectrums uh, grow further and further apart and mm-hmm. like increase the age of polarization. So I, have always been someone who's willing to cr- criticize liberal media bias. I also think that you know alternative media has its own bias and its own problems. Um, but I, I did want to sort of get your feel for how you think about, I guess the the presidency and government more generally. You know, I think they, you know, everyone in a free society has a commitment to truth telling, and I think it's pretty fair to say that Trump has ex- exacerbated that um, uh, or. or been worse than that uh, than previous presidents, even though, uh, you know, previous presidents definitely had their own problems with the truth as well. So um, how do you think about, I guess, how the media relates to um, the executive branch, especially, or or other branches of government um, in terms of like fair play and accurate coverage? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that uh, Trump exacerbated divisions in the country. And I think uh, the reason, one of the reasons behind the extreme media bias that I just gave two examples of is because the a lot of the media see themselves as fighting against fascism, which they believe Trump represents. Mm-hmm. And so if you're fighting against something that's truly evil like that, it you can argue ethically that you shouldn't cover anything that might help him and you should double down on things that might look bad. And so I think a lot of people, the Hunter Biden thing was another thing that in my opinion was completely covered up uh, in the mainstream outlets, even though the emails were real, they, there's no evidence they were part of a Russian disinformation campaign as, uh, but they were covered up by all the mainstream outlets. And I think that was a pretty conscious decision that in 2016, you know, they covered Clinton's email scandal as any honest journalist would cover. And there were lots of reports in the years after, you know, saying, how could we have covered that? That was so horrible. You know, we were responsible for her losing. And I think they learned that lesson and they covered up the Hunter Biden thing and they ran stories, you know, delegitimizing the source, even when the emails checked out in terms of the metadata. And, but yeah, I think they think they did the morally right thing by preventing fascism and all this. And so then you would have to debate, well, is Trump actually 
<laughs> a yeah. fascist or whatever. He's yeah. certainly a Bulgarian, you know, uh, jerk Authoritarian to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I think there are degrees to this thing for sure, and it, right. it's not accurate to call him a, a fascist at all. Um, it right. I, it does. Um, I I do think that there. Um, it, it makes journalism harder when you have a president who is just willing to say a long stream of things that have, uh, you know, no or some relationship to the truth. Um, and also, you know, there's um, the element of uh, racism or xenophobia that comes into it as well. And so I think that, you know, like the sort of median journalist at um, a, a bias uh, at a organization with center left biased is not like viewing themselves necessarily as as sort of a, a, a as someone who's in a, who's in line with antifa right but at the same time i think they're he does make it harder and so it's um become difficult for uh, organizations to cover it while at the same time you know i i try to personally criticize you know the president for speaking falsehoods um the media mm-hmm. for speaking falsehoods you know i try to be even-handed in my own in my own thinking really um, yeah as far as i can tell that's the best way to do it to, mm-hmm. to try to even-handedly criticize everyone when they say mm-hmm. something that's wrong yeah you mentioned the james comey letter i thought it was interesting apparently he's said um after the fact that one of the reasons that he uh, released that letter uh, or sent the letter to congress is because he was sure that clinton was going to win <laughs> Um, which mm. I think illustrates um, both for government and for media that having yeah. a rule book and sticking to it is what you have to be willing to do. I think that, um, you know, some people have described Comey as being uh, sort of in love, in love with his own sense of integrity, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is not the right way to go about it. In my opinion, I think, you know, rules gatekeeping exists for a reason you you might argue that there are exceptions, but I think it's really dangerous when you start making exceptions to like clear rules. Oh yeah, I agree with that. I think the media has done that. And by the way, I think uh, James Comey was teaching ethics at William and Mary immediately after all this stuff oh, at our he? alma mater. So. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's I I uh, I love William and Mary generally. I I think actually they are have. I don't know about now, but in the past, um, like when I attended, I think they were a good example of having a diverse uh, perspective and the professors that taught there. Um, you know, that was my own experience uh, with uh, with the government department. Yeah, I had a pretty good experience there too. Um, although we went to college before everything went off the rails. So uh, <laughs> yeah. certainly if you look at the flat hat now, it's all social justice all the time. So. Mm. <laughs> Uh, okay, so one piece uh, in particular that I did want to bring up was uh, your piece in Real Clear Politics, the only thing you've written yeah. for them so far about uh, uh, Google's potential bias. I think, um, again, it is is kind of an interesting question to pursue because um, you get the definition of, uh, you have to define, you know, what sources are reliable, and but then there's the question of whether Google is biased about defining reliable sources, et cetera. So, um, yeah, why don't you just tell me a little bit about uh, what uh, you found in that article and then the conclusions that you think we can draw from it? Yeah, so the basic uh, 
gist of this is that, and I don't think most people know this, but they should be aware of this. Uh, many conservative sites like Breitbart and the Daily Caller were, have been essentially blacklisted from Google search results for about a year, not just Google News, your Google searches. And so you type in anything, whether it's, you're doing research on illegal immigration or whether Trump lied or not, you're not gonna get hits from Breitbart or the Daily Caller unless you specifically type in Breitbart in your search, which uh, you're not gonna do. And, um, and so first of all, I think people should be aware of that. They're not, you know, Google never publicized, like we're gonna cut off these sites because they're mean or wrong. Uh, they just did it through this, uh, well, we don't know exactly how, but we can see from data that's gathered by search consultancies where they track a million different keywords and they look how each site ranks in each keyword and they track that every day. And so you can see Breitbart, you know, is doing great. And then around <clears throat> 2017, they took a big hit in this ranking and how they rank, but they were still getting kind of normal traffic. And then um, mid 2019, they just got knocked to basically zero. Um, and uh, it was Breitbart, Daily Caller, Spectator. Uh, those were kind of the biggest sites, but there were a couple more. And so the question is, why did this happen? And also what I also found looking at different sites is some uh, sites that may be regarded as kind of less reliable, including like the Daily Cause, uh, which is a leftist site, also saw decreases in their search result rank, but the, none of them were blacklisted like Breitbart was. But um, so the question is, why did this happen? And we don't know because Google won't say. Uh, they may have some kind of blacklist on sites like Breitbart. But what they also have, and this is in public documents that are released, is like there's a 60 page document describing how they have internal reliability ratings for websites. And these are done by human raters who are following the 60 page guideline about how to rate websites. And it's, you know, basically they're just hiring these aren't college professors or uh, quote unquote experts doing the rankings. It's just kind of people they've hired and they, uh, the rankings are, the guidelines are somewhat uh, questionable and that they tell people, they're like, they give examples. They're like, let's say you have this Christian Science Monitor article about Clinton or whatever. And they're like, how do you find if it's reliable? It's like, well, go to Wikipedia, Christian Science Monitor. Oh, they want to pull it surprise. Okay, this is probably reliable. Um, so Wikipedia is cited like 50 times in this thing uh, as like kind of the a high source, source on how group, you're yeah. supposed to rank actual news organizations like Christian Science Monitor or something. Um, things like New York Times are also cited a lot up with Wikipedia as things, you know, for how to judge other outlets. And, you know, if you go to Breitbart's Wikipedia page, it's like far right, zero credibility. You know, personally, I think they're obviously extremely biased, but 
I wouldn't write them. They break a lot of stories as well. Um, so yeah, so I think if to the extent they're using this, now Google says we're not using these reliability measures directly in search. Mm-hmm. And it's as far as I can incorporated tell, into some algorithm, yeah. So yeah, they, it, I, I think this is basically a verbal loophole that they're using where they, uh, well, they, they say they're not incorporating it into algorithm. What they do is they create an algorithm and they run it and they see, does this algorithm put reliable sites high up? And without actually looking at the reliability data, Okay. In the algorithm. And then if it does not, they say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board, create another algorithm. Let's see how this does. And they, they say, you know, we've done hundreds of tests to make sure our, so it's kind of a weird loophole. They say, well, we're not putting the reliability data into the algorithm. We're just, they're just testing, testing the against it. Yeah. 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 That um, is strange. And actually it's the same. Right. Yeah. It might, I imagine that it might be worse. Like I, I, <laughs> Because then you're just you're just training against it as opposed to using a, a, a metric directly. Like, Perhaps. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's in- interesting. Um, yeah, it is yeah, interesting. I, but so if you hear a Google CEO in uh, hearing, you know, say oh, we're, we're, we don't use re- reliability data to rank websites, that's the kind of you know, that's how they're saying that. Right. Without yeah. technically lying. So. Uh, to wrap up, I have sort of a, a brainstorming idea, which I think would mm. never work, but which I personally want to see. And then I have um, a final question. So my brainstorming idea is that, um, you know, I, I think across the aisle, especially for the first presidential debate, people just thought it was like ridiculous and not worthy of our time. My idea, mm-hmm. what I would love, if I have to go to apply to college or to grad school, if I have to write a written essay, then with no help, then I think that the presidential candidate should have to do that too. <laughs> and they, ideally it would be a written debate, but I would not want hmm. them to have any outside help because hmm. I think, you know, nowadays everything is about presentation and about, um, you know, just rallies and mudslinging and, you know, getting people hyped up. I think there is, you know, a place for like passionate argument or whatever, but I also want to see their critical thinking skills. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it would be I very revealing. <laughs> right, right. I think that's a good idea. And are you thinking of this? <laughs> so they would each write one essay, uh, one response yeah. essay or something. Yeah, or, or maybe a series of questions, honestly, like explain right. your foreign policy in detail, please, in a written right. format. I don't know. Yeah, I, and just lock them in a room. And yeah, we'll certainly we'll <laughs> be interesting to see if Trump uses his Twitter grammar or uh, gets a right. little more serious. That's, yeah, but that's no, I think I think that would be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, you know, writing kind of forces you to collect your thoughts in a way that you can get away with a little sloppier thinking and speech. Often, I think. Yeah, that that is exactly. Um, what I think as well. I my previous episode, I had the creators of Paragraph on there, and they have the much mm. more realistic goal of having written debates between professors. Um, mm. And that I think is well, not just professors, um, other figures from business and notable individuals. Mm. I think um, it's very informative. I don't know if if you've seen it. Um, there, Paragraph.com, like pairs of authors, and then there's mm. Letter Letter.wiki is another site where you can find like pretty um, influential 
figures in the public discourse, um, mm. written uh, conversations. So, mm. yeah, I think I've seen letters. Okay. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. You always wonder. New. Yeah. Um, Will do it. Does anyone in the general public have <laughs> want to read these long back and forths? Though I wonder. Right. I, I don't know. Right. I think viral yeah. video is more where it's where I, where the conversations happen. Is uh, yeah. Basically, people in the Senate just um, make grand gestures so they can get a thirty-second clip for their ads, and it's right. it's gotten to a bad place. So I realized that my sort of fantasy world is unrealistic, but um, at the same time, it's, yeah. it's fun to at least think about. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so my final question, kind of in keeping with the name of this show, is can you tell me about a time when you heard an argument from someone who criticized you on something, really, anything you want, and you thought, you know, you might have a point? Yeah, well, I think that all the time, you know, people very often have good points, even if I may ultimately disagree with the conclusion. But to answer your specific question, um, you know, when I was a kid or in high school, I thought the Iraq war was great and we were bringing democracy to the Middle East um, and, and defending, keeping ourselves safe from WMDs and all this good stuff. And obviously it kind of went downhill for a while. But for mm -hmm. many years, you know, it's still like, well, it, it, you know, it still did all these great things. And I think sometime in 2007, one of my good friends sent me kind of a back of the envelope calculation on, you know, the costs, both lives and money and, and the benefits. And the numbers just were, were clear that the costs were much right. higher than, yeah. than whatever lives may have been saved from not having Saddam Hussein in charge. Um, and like those just weren't comparable. And my first reaction was to be like, you know, oh, well, I, I think you're probably missing, maybe you're missing this thing that's not really calculatable. But in this one instance, I, I actually double second thought that and was like, well, you know, maybe I'm just kind of making up <laughs> reasons to, do, to keep my uh, thinking on this yeah, going. Yeah, motivated and, reasoning. And, right. And I, I did admit then I was I was like you know okay the evidence points to this having been a mistake but you know he still given the information he had at the time it was probably reasonable but uh but that it seemed to be a mistake and now I think it's even much more clear that it was just a disaster and it mm -hmm. wrecked the Middle East and my uh instinctive view of wars in general has changed too like if, if you look historically there have been very few wars that turned out successfully for the u.s in mm -hmm. terms of like cost benefit mm -hmm. analysis um and uh so uh, so my t view on that has totally changed and he was definitely yeah. right yeah yeah I, so I he, he had a point thinking, you could say <laughs> yeah i think my thinking pretty much tracks yours in terms of the progression of thought there um one other thing i would mention is that it kind of relates to what we were talking about before like bubbles and I think mm. it's fair to say that, um, you know, the presidency is its own bubble. And um, that is potentially one of the reasons, um, well, bubbles and groupthink, right, is one of the reasons why the intelligence was so wrong, right? Like, I think, you know, you can, you can describe, what's the saying, like, don't ascribe to malice what you can explain by incompetence. Um, mm. And I think there was clearly some incompetence with the decision making, uh, both at the White House and the CIA. But um, 
at the same time it's like it's not necessarily all just sort of evil you know grab for oil it's it's more complicated and nuanced than that for sure sure that's also true you can i mean probably most bad decisions are made with good intentions i would say yeah all right well that was all i had thank you so much maxim lot for coming on you might have a point <laughs> thank you Stephen. that concludes today's interview if you have any feedback on today's episode or suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes, you can reach me at stephen at youmighthaveapoint.com. That is Stephen with a PH. You can also reach me on Twitter at have underscore point. Thanks again for listening and take care.